Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text Monica to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Wednesday. We are midweek, and we got a lot coming at us. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Don't forget to check me out on social media. On Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and Truth Social, I'm at Monica Crowley. Also by email, I can be reached at Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Again, Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. All right, on Friday, I want to take apart the Republican part of the presidential race. This is what we are going to focus on on Friday on this show. You're not going to want to miss a second of it because we're going to blow it apart in a lot of different ways because we are now off to the races. Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, who has been an extraordinary governor for that state, continues to be an extraordinary governor of that state, has decided today to throw his hat into the presidential nominating primary race. Of course, his main opponent is none other than the 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump, who would like to be the 47th president of the United States, and he remains the 800-pound gorilla in the Republican Party. So Ron DeSantis has a lot of work to do, and again, this is not a commentary on Governor DeSantis, who again is a very smart, very talented, very successful leader in this country, but Running for president is something else entirely, and if you're going up against Donald Trump, well, all bets are off. I would not want to run against Donald Trump. That's just me. (laughs) There are others who are fine with that. And uh, God bless them. Via con Dios. Go with God. Um, And we're going to take all of this apart on Friday because uh, DeSantis is... Uh, making this announcement with Elon Musk in a Twitter spaces today at 6 p.m. Eastern time. You might be listening to this after uh, that announcement uh, or even the next day, but I just want to make it clear, as of right now, he's not announced. He is going to do it later today, and on Friday, we're going to break it all apart, okay? So you're, you're not going to want to miss this. This is going to be a really dynamic show. I also want to make mention that later today, Around 6 p.m. Eastern Time, I've got a stupendous, if I may say so, a stupendous op-ed 
coming your way at Newsweek, newsweek.com. In their opinion section, I'll put it up on my social media as well. But this is an op-ed that is going to blow your hair back. Okay, so check that out. We will also be discussing my new op-ed for Newsweek coming later today. Uh, We'll discuss that as well on Friday. Okay, coming up here today, I want to talk about the other side of the 2024 presidential race, and that is the Democrats. Notice I did not say that is Biden. I want to take this apart for you, and we're going to be joined here in just a couple of minutes by Joel Gilbert, who is a documentary filmmaker, really smart guy, and for the last year and a half, Joel Gilbert has been talking about the potential of Michelle Obama running. I spoke about it last year at CPAC and because I'd been talking to Joel and and it it sort of floored me this idea that Michelle could run, would want to run, and then it started to make more and more sense. So, I don't know if she's going to do it or not, but in a couple of minutes here we're going to turn to Joel Gilbert who produced this great documentary called Michelle Obama 2024 where she blows apart Michelle Obama and her whole background and what a fraud she is. We talked to him last year when the documentary came out, but we're going to bring him back because There have been some really important developments here, things that people are not paying attention to, except for Joel and me now, thanks to Joel. So he's going to join us here. A lot of people now are starting to buzz a little bit about it. There have been articles in the Wall Street Journal and other places, and Newt Gingrich is now out there talking. But Joel was the OG on the Michelle Obama theory. He was the OG. So we're going to bring him back here and and take it all apart. You might disagree. You might say, oh, this is nonsense. Forget it. You got to listen to, you got to listen to it because it does us no good to stick our heads in the sand and pretend it couldn't happen. It could. Will it? Who knows? But it could, and we better be prepared for it. So that's coming up here in just a couple of minutes. First up, though, the Monica Memo. Presidential horse race is underway. I know, I know, I know past the Tylenol, right? Because the election is not until November of next year. So we've got another year and a half of this. Oh, my Lord of mercy. Take the wheel, Jesus. Another year and a half of this. And it is going to be dramatic on both sides of the aisle. Okay, Republicans we're going to deal with on Friday. Let's talk about the Democrats today. Joe Biden made his intention to run for re-election clear a couple of weeks ago in a ridiculous three-minute long video. Now, most presidential candidates will do a major event announcing that they are running, particularly if you're the sitting president with the backing of uh, the entire government The backdrop of the White House, you could do it in the, well, I guess you can't really do it in the Oval or anything, but you could certainly do something like on the Eclipse with the White House in the background. I I mean, you've got the full force of the imagery as president and all of the stuff that goes along with being president. You have that advantage. So most presidents who are running for re-election leverage that, use it, the imagery, the symbolism, the whole thing. Joe Biden chose not to. He released a three-minute-long video that was heavily edited because the guy is just out to lunch senile. So they couldn't put him in front of a live audience. They couldn't have him do like a rally kind of thing because nobody would show up. They'd have to pay people to show up. And because he is demented, he can't, I mean, sometimes he sticks to a script. Most of the time he doesn't. He's, he's everywhere. So they needed to record this so that they could edit it and make him look like some semblance of a sentient human being. So he puts this out a lot sooner than he wanted to. Why? My theory is because Bobby Kennedy Jr. has emerged and announced that he is running for president. He's put together a campaign Dennis Kucinich, remember him? (laughs) Dennis Kucinich with the space aliens and stuff. 
Kucinich is running Bobby Kennedy's campaign. But, you know, it's easy to have a chuckle over Kucinich, not over Kennedy, who's a serious contender. But Kucinich really is aligned with Kennedy and aligned with a lot of Democrats, Tulsi Gabbard and others, who have said, whoa, the Democratic Party has left me, man. That, that party is like pure communist now. And this is not what we're about. We are not Marxists. Well, AOC, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Joe Biden and his puppeteers, they're all Marxists. But you've got a group of Democrats like Kennedy and Gabbard and Kucinich who are not. They're more classically liberal, small l. All of the traditional positions of classical liberals they espouse, like anti-war. Bobby Kennedy's uncle, JFK, and his father, RFK Sr., they would be Republicans right now. They were pro-growth, economic policy guys with tax cuts and regulatory relief. They were anti-communist. People forget that in 1960, in that presidential race that was uh, JFK versus Richard Nixon, my old boss, my first boss, um, in his last years, People forget that they tried to out-hawk each other on the Soviet Union. So Bobby Kennedy is trying to do what Bill Clinton did in 1992, which is drag the Democratic Party kicking and screaming back to the center because the Democratic Party will always move to the radical left, will always move to the Marxist left because that's where the energy and the activism are. And in the 1930s, this is what the communists came in and they said, well, how are we going to infiltrate and how, how are we going to destroy this country from within? Well, we're going to grab control over the culture and the educational system and the news media, but we also need to grab control over a political party. And so they did. Obviously, they weren't going to go for the Republicans, so they grabbed control of the Democrats. And this has been going on for decades, as I always say on this show, and I'm sure you've learned from me on this. So when you look at the landscape, Bobby Kennedy comes out of nowhere, sort of like Trump in 2015, and just starts running, running like a ragtag campaign, like Trump did in 2015, and even throughout 2016, ragtag, very little money, just pure force of personality and message. That's what Trump won on to begin with, message and personality, bringing something entirely new to the game. Bobby Kennedy brings a legendary Democrat family name, of course. There's not much left of the family dynasty, but it is what it is. But Kennedy is also bringing a very important message, a traditional liberal message that I think is resonating with a lot of people. And like Trump in in 2015, 2016, a lot of people crossing the aisle or a lot of independents and you know, people who are maybe not Democrats, certainly not Marxists, taking a look at Bobby Kennedy and his message. And by the way, watching the left attack a Kennedy is mind-blowing. I mean, I'm just floored, just floored. The Kennedys have spent the last, what, 60 years plus creating the myth of the Kennedys, Camelot and the rest and the assassinations and the family tragedies and all of that, they have done a brilliant job at creating the mythology of the Kennedy family, America's royalty. Now I guess Meghan Markle wants to replace the Kennedys as American royalty. Good luck to you, sister. So even though the the Kennedy mythology has been tainted by all of the truths that we have seen over the decades with the cheating and the drug use and, you know, the abuse of people and all that other stuff, it's still, you know, it's still pretty well ingrained. So Kennedy comes into the race and starts throwing things off balance. That's why you saw Joe Biden come out way before he wanted to. Remember, he said, oh, I'm going to come out in the uh, fall with my announcement. And then Bobby Kennedy comes on the scene and Biden and his team realize, holy crap, because now Kennedy is polling 20, 22%. 
among Democrats, that is pretty substantial against a sitting Democrat president. Wow. So it forced his hand and he came out with this stupid video. But let's just be clear about a couple of things. And we'll talk to Joel about the dynamics going on on the Democratic side here. But I think nobody with a brain believes that Joe Biden is actually going to end up being the nominee. He's always been a hack and a jerk, and now he's a hack and a jerk with dementia. Everybody sees it, and everybody knows it. And as I've been telling you on this program, you know, the the leftist power brokers for the last, what, six months, maybe more, have been sizing Joe Biden up, and they realize that perhaps they might not be able to win again I mean, they're certainly going to rig this election. DOJ, FBI, Zuckerberg, it's all being rigged right now as we speak, and Ronna McDaniel is doing nothing. We'll talk about that more on Friday. But they are sizing up Joe Biden, and they are finding him wanting. Now, it was one thing to be wanting in 2020, where you had this great pretext of the virus and economic shutdown and BLM and Antifa burning down America and all that stuff. They could keep him in the basement. They are gonna. Uh, they are gonna execute a crisis plan for next year. It's gonna involve Trump in court, morning, noon, and night, with all these indictments. And there are more indictments coming. We'll talk that on Friday. But are they gonna be able to pull it off while keeping Biden down and out of sight? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, depending on what they have planned. But the second they think that they can't, they're gonna pull a trigger. And they're going to move Biden right out. And in fact, they're already planting the seeds that he is too old. Mrs. Clinton this week uh, was at some sort of panel and she was asked about Joe Biden. And here's what she said. And we've had presidents who've fallen before who were a lot younger um, and people didn't go into, you know, heart palpitations. Um, but he, his age is an issue and people have every right to consider it. So... She's asked if Biden's age is a legit issue, and she said, yeah, it is. People have every right to consider it. Well, (laughs) uh, let me tell you something. If they had full confidence that Joe Biden could run effectively and that he was going to be the nominee, this deep state nightmare, Hillary Clinton, would not be saying this kind of thing. I promise you, she and the others would be out there singing his praises. He's Johnny on the spot. No slippage whatsoever. He is right there. He is perfectly on top of everything. They're not saying that. They're not because they know Hillary Clinton is a deep state operative. She is the queen of psyops. So when she is out there saying this, understand she is speaking for the leftist power brokers and the deep state. They're getting ready to boot Joe Biden. They're also looking at these polls. And the polls show that President Trump is now beating him. Now, they're doing some matchups with DeSantis. And either Biden is ahead of DeSantis by a little bit or they're running even. Some of the polls show uh, in a head-to-head with Donald Trump, Biden the same. But now you're starting to get head-to-head polls showing Trump beating Biden. There was a Harvard-Harris poll that showed uh, Trump over Biden by seven points. That was last week. This week, there is an Economist YouGov poll showing Trump beating him by two points. Again, take all of this with a grain of salt. These polls are, this is so way early, okay? This is basically meaningless. Um, And these polls are either like straight up wrong because they're not counting the, the Trump voters and the Republicans in the way they should, or... They're geared, they're weighted, they're weighted because the left wants to run against Donald Trump because they think he's the most beatable. To which I say, be careful what you wish for. Again, we'll talk about that more on Friday. So they're looking at these polls. I'm sure their internal polls, they might show the same thing here. They're looking at Biden's age. So they're starting to send out sentries like Mrs. Clinton, to say, oh, people have every right to take into account Biden's age and his ability to do this job. 
The only reason you're getting that in the national conversation is because the deep state wants you to get it. Everything that you get from the propaganda press, from these deep state operatives, is because they want you to get it. Understand that. Okay? So the ground is now being fertilized for the possibility that Biden is not on this ticket. And then the question is, what do they do with Kamala Harris? They cannot run her. They know they cannot run her. So how do they get rid of her? That remains to be seen. Um, I think with Joe, they could probably more easily move him out, except they're going to have to deal with Jill, who's a nightmare and, and wants this weekend at Bernie's situation to continue. Um, but with Kamala Harris, it's going to be a more difficult dance because she thinks in her own insane mind that she can pull this off. I can be president. <laughs> Horrible. Just a nightmare, right? So they're going to have to do something, either move her somewhat laterally, like say to the Supreme Court, God help us, or they're going to have to pay her off big, big time, lucrative positions, places, just get her into a huge money-making deal and get her out that way. I don't think she likes the job. I think she knows she's in way over her head, but I do think she likes the power that comes with it. So that's going to be an interesting dance. And then the question is, who do the Democrats run? If they get rid of both of them, And again, I I concede this is a difficult project, but you're dealing with power-hungry Marxists, so nothing is beyond them. And the deep state, (laughs) clearly nothing is beyond them. So then the question is, who do they run? And who can they get in there right away, fast, ready to go, raising money by the bucket loads, fast? Well, you got Gavin Newsom in California. I guess you got Mrs. Clinton God help us. And you've got Michelle. Those are the three big ones. So I want you to ruminate on that because there's a lot of stuff falling into place. And when we come back, we're going to talk to our good friend, Joel Gilbert, about all of this and more. He's going to detail things that you probably haven't heard in the propaganda press because the press is in on all of this and they're stonewalling a lot of these stories. All right, so you ready to talk about the Democratic race and in particular, Michelle? Buckle up. Here we go. Okay, so as many of you guys know, last year I spoke at CPAC and in fact, I spoke Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy And you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com at CPAC this year too. But I'm referring specifically to late February of last year of 2022. 
speaking at CPAC and I'm on this panel and I get asked the question, who will the Democratic nominee be in 2024? Now, obviously, nobody with a pulse believes that it's going to be Joe Biden, who doesn't know what planet he's on. And yes, he declared for president, but we're going to we're going to take that apart, too, because things are not as they appear. Nobody, I think, with any kind of brain activity thinks that Joe Biden is going to make it through another year and a half to the general election. Also, nobody believes that it's going to be Kamala Harris who's a complete mess in a constant state of nervous breakdown. Poll after poll, including even the most recent polls, show that Democrats are now openly saying that they do not want either of these two clowns to be at the top of the ticket. They would prefer that Joe Biden not run, and Kamala Harris is an historically unpopular vice president. So when I was at CPAC and I was asked, again, this is 2022, when I was asked who the Democrats are going to nominate, I said, well, they've got a couple of options, none of them good. They've got Mrs. Clinton. They've got Gavin Newsom out of California. They got Bernie Sanders out of Vermont. And then I said, there is one person who could beat any Republican nominee, Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis doesn't matter. Michelle. Michelle Obama. When I said her name, there was an audible gasp in the room and a stunned moment of shocked silence. It was almost as if all of the oxygen had been like pulled out of the place. And then there was this worried murmur that went up among the crowd. And I told them, don't look at me. Don't shoot the messenger. It does us no good to be delusional about what we might face in 2024. We're still operating under this delusion that it's going to be Joe Biden and he's not going to be able to run a basement campaign like he did in 2020 with the virus, et cetera. And his poll numbers suck. So it's he's going to be, if not easy to beat, he's he is certainly within our targets, right? Well, no. That's not right. And living in fantasy land does not help us one bit. We've got to deal in reality and prepare for the worst case scenario. That worst case scenario is Michelle Obama. Somebody who agrees with me on this and is way out in front and has been now for a while is my friend Joel Gilbert. Joel is a prominent documentary filmmaker and author. And last year, he released an excellent deep dive into Mrs. Obama called Michelle Obama 2024. It's both a film and a book, so you can go get one or both and learn the true story. Go to the website, michelleobama24, michelleobama24.com for all of the details on what we're going to talk about today. And Joel joins us now. Joel, welcome back. Okay, great to be here, Monica. Thank you. Well, it's great to have you. And as listeners of this podcast know, you were here last year when Michelle Obama 2024 was debuting at the National Press Club right. and you were putting out the book at the same time you joined us then. And I think it woke a lot of people up. And I just thought there have been so many developments since then that I wanted to have you back and really kind of do another deep dive into where we are right now with this possibility. So a lot of people and people I talk to, I'm sure people you talk to, they just dismiss this, this idea of Michelle Obama running for president. Oh, she, she and Barack love their life. They're in California. They're Martha's Vineyard. They've got Netflix. She's on Oprah. They're making a ton of money. There is absolutely no way she is interested in doing this. You say, mm, don't be so sure. Why? Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, people uh, have listened to Michelle Obama for the past 15 years, hiding behind this uh, manufactured idea that she hates politics and she just wants to be the mom in chief in the White House. Uh, I did the research. I went to Chicago. I talked to her high school classmates, elementary school classmates, three boyfriends, her mother, her thesis advisor at Princeton University. And what emerges is that Michelle Obama is a very, very political person. 
She's a better speaker than Barack. She's a better politician than Barack. She comes across more authentic than Barack. And she really was the driving force in Barack's political career. Uh, Michelle's father was a precinct captain. He was a politician in Chicago working for the Democrat Party machine. Uh, Michelle grew up in Jesse Jackson's house. She was best friends with his daughter, Santita, when Jackson was running for president in the early 80s. Michelle married a politician. She's very, very political. And you might remember from 2008, she was giving these speeches to huge crowds every night saying very nasty things about the country. And she went a little over the top and she said, for the first time in my life, I'm proud of my country when Barack won a primary. And that's when everybody started paying attention. She'd said a lot worse things than that, but that's when the news media looked at her and the campaign told her, look, Barack can win the White House except for you. So you need to take a step back. So that's when she came up with that idea. I hate politics and I just want to be the mom in chief. And she's kept that up for about 15 years, hundreds of magazine covers, hundreds of talk shows. And she became kind of the best loved Democrat, this forever first lady that everybody loves. But behind that facade is a very political person. I made a note in my book, and I think you even mentioned that at CPAC last year, that Michelle is really following in the footsteps of Barack, the exact same formula that Barack did to become president. Michelle is doing exactly that. Barack based his candidacy on his personal story, his book, Dreams from My Father. Michelle wrote two autobiographies, one called Becoming, and now the new one called The Light We Carry. Both of them also are on Netflix as well in movie forms. Can, can I stop yeah, you there before yeah. you get to the other uh, things that she's doing that Barack did? Yeah. Um, the, the, I want everybody to understand the critical point here about writing autobiographies. Um, most people write them at the end of their lives, the yeah. end of their careers, and it's a look back at the sweep of their own history. And it's very important for presidents to do this because they want their own voice on the historical record. But Barack Obama wrote, I think, not one, but two memoirs, if I'm correct, before he even ran for president, or one long before he ran Dreams from My Father, which uh, a lot of people suspect was written by the domestic terrorist Bill Ayers and not uh, Barack Obama, but that's a different subject. And then he wrote another one during the uh, campaign in 2008. And I want everybody to understand these are not just sort of benign I'm telling my own story things. The reason that a lot of politicians do this is because they are trying to head off journalists doing deep dives, doing digging into their background. It's like a preemptive strike so they can say, oh, look, I put out my life story. It's all right there in my autobiography. No need for you to go to Hawaii and dig. No need for you to go to Boston or Chicago and dig into this. It's all right here. And journalists now, for the most part, are really lazy. So they just take these autobiographies and take them at, at uh, face value and run with the story that they've been fed rather than, and most of it's propaganda, rather than go and do their own investigative research. So I think that's a really important thing for you to take with you as you hear Joel talk about, well, Michelle Obama's written now two memoirs or two forms of autobiography. This is what she's doing. She's trying to cut off any kind of deep dive into her past or her present, for that matter, by putting out her story preemptively. Okay, that's, those are all great points. And certainly when I read Becoming, Michelle's you know, best-selling memoir, um, it is a political document. It rewrites history. It tells blatant lies about her childhood. And I got through all of that. You'll see in the movie uh, where Michelle tries to make a case that she suffered discrimination growing up. She grew up as a Black girl. She grew up on the south side of Chicago. She was held back in life. Everything about it is untrue. Michelle was from South Shore, which is not on the South Side. It's on the lake in a very nice neighborhood. Michelle went to Paris when she was in high school with her French club. How many oppressed kids in the ghetto go to Paris with their French club in high school? Michelle lies about her high school counselor. She claimed that her high school counselor racially profiled her regarding her application to Princeton University. Well, I found out her High school counselor was a church-going black woman, so there's no way that's true. So Michelle makes up these racial slights in order to chronically manipulate minority and black voters into thinking that she's one of them. 
and I go into this in great detail in the in the film and book, how Michelle grew up uh, afraid of black people. She wrote about this in the book. And when she went on the book tour, she probably talked too much because I got her on tape where she talks about she said, I lived in fear of going out of my house. And she says they would beat her up for acting white and talking white. She even talks about getting in a fistfight with a girl who called her an Oreo, meaning you're black on the outside, but you're really a white girl on the inside. Uh, so Michelle has a big problem with the black community, not different from what Barack had when he ran for president. When Barack ran, white people thought he was black and they were like, oh, that's great. We want to have a black president. That'd be great. They liked it. But black people didn't buy in. They thought Barack, well, he's biracial. He's from Hawaii. He's uh, went to Harvard. He's an elitist. We don't we don't think he's one of us. Michelle really has the same problem because she spent her childhood running away from the black community instead of going to uh, high school one block from her house, which was all black. It was a good high school, uh, South Shore High. Michelle went an hour and a half away to study with white kids. She went to Princeton University. I document how Michelle's two main jobs, her career in Chicago was working for the mayor of Chicago as assistant planning commissioner under Valerie Jarrett. And Michelle's role was to knock down the projects. She made 20,000 black people homeless when they knocked down Cabrini Green and gave away the land to these Democrat donor developers like Tony Resco, who wanted the land to build exclusive housing near downtown. And then having proven her callousness toward the black community, Michelle was hired by the University of Chicago Medical Center to prevent the black Southside community from using their emergency room. They were losing a lot of money because a lot of them were uninsured. So Michelle took the job from the white Democrat elites to deal with her problems with black people. And she made a ton of money. They couldn't hire a white person to kick black people out of the emergency room. They had to hire Michelle and she did a good job. She put them in these vans and shipped them to these crappy neighborhood clinics where they didn't get good health care. So I detail how Michelle spent her career exploiting the black community and making millions of dollars doing it. So uh, that's her biggest vulnerability. And that's why she puts up these fake racial stories to try to trick minority voters into thinking, well, I'm just one of these ordinary black folks like you. She was not at all. She was an elite kid growing up. She went to dance classes for 10 years. She went to Paris. She grew up as an elite and a political family. Now, the other two things she's copying Barack are Barack was the keynote speaker for John Kerry in 2004 at the Democrat Party convention. That's the position that introduces the candidate. And it's usually the person they think will be the nominee at the next convention. Well, sure enough, Michelle was the keynote speaker for Joe Biden at the 2020 Democrat convention, introduced him. Mm -hmm. And uh, lastly, Barack had a voter registration organization called Project Vote in Chicago before he ran for office. They registered 150,000 black voters to get Carol Mosley Braun elected to Senate and also Bill Clinton elected. And sure enough, about five years ago, Michelle started a voter registration organization called When We All Vote, very well funded, $26 million. They operate in swing states. It's got a lot of George Soros money. So I see Michelle just following the same path, keeping a very high profile. And uh, I'm convinced that she plans to declare for president when Biden drops out. Okay, Joel, please stand by. We've got much more with Joel Gilbert straight ahead. We're back with Joel Gilbert and his film is called Michelle Obama 2024. So I said on this show last week, Joel, that given the fact that there is now movement both in the Joe Biden investigation on Capitol Hill and the Hunter Biden investigations in the DOJ, which they, they've been stonewalled in every direction. But now that there is movement here, I predicted that uh, Hunter Biden would be indicted. It's probably going to be in you know, a very slap on the wrist kind of stuff. Nothing serious on the gun uh, case and also on the taxes case, but it's going to be a relatively minor thing, but he will be indicted and he will be charged. And my prediction is that Joe Biden as president will then pardon his son and then he will declare that he is not going to run for re-election. And I anticipate this coming maybe in the fall 
um, early winter this year. I mean, he's got to give enough track for Michelle Obama to, to step up and raise money, which is not going to be a problem for her, but he still has to give her enough track uh, here. So I predict that they're going to use the Hunter Biden thing. He is going to pardon his own son after this, and then he's going to step down uh, from the candidacy for next year. And that will open the door for her. Do you see a similar scenario unfolding? Yeah, I, I think that's a very realistic scenario. It's not like there's uh, lacking reasons Biden could drop out. It could be health, could be the fact that he's been nailed for bribery by the uh, you know House committee. There's a number of reasons he could drop out, and that's certainly a very realistic one. And the look, it takes uh, months, uh, if not years, to prepare to run for president. When when Biden says he's not running, and by the way, I believe the only reason he threw up a three-minute video was because of fear of the Kennedy name. When RFK Jr. Uh, announced for president within a week, you know, Susan Rice quit, which was pretty telling because she's on Team Obama, and Biden throws up a three-minute video, which does not really represent a real announcement. Nothing happens till the fall when the candidates have to start submitting signatures to be on the primary ballots. And when Biden drops out, the party will have no choice but to turn to Michelle Obama. She's the only person that can raise $100 million in two weeks mm -hmm. and has universal name recognition and can get all the signatures she needs. So when you put together what else the Democrats have been up to, they moved the primary from first primary from Iowa to South Carolina. So instead of campaigning in 100 counties, uh, we start in South Carolina, where 50% of the Democrat Party primary voters are African-American. And Michelle has claimed... South Carolina as an adopted home state because her grandparents are from there. And she used to go there in the summers growing up to go to family reunions. And then lastly, the most obvious big well, tell. Well, is, wait, 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 before you yeah, go into yeah. the next thing, yeah. I just let, let's go back to the fact that Biden seems to be increasingly consumed with these scandals and yes. the, the, the hard evidence of bribery. And then Hunter Biden, it looks like an indictment could be coming soon, et cetera. Um, my feeling is that, you, you know, the deep state that really runs this country, that's where the real power is. They, we would not know any of this stuff about the Biden family corruption unless the deep state and the leftist power brokers wanted us to know, Joel. And so it seems to me that they have already made a decision that this useful idiot has outlived his usefulness, and now they're going to dispense with him, and they are setting it up for them to, to move him on out, right? And so, um, and I want to get back to South Carolina in a second, but um, the, the logical next choice, of course, is the sitting vice president. That's Kamala Harris. She is a woman of color, but she's also a distinctly unpopular vice president where nobody has confidence in her, including the leftist power brokers. So a Michelle Obama squares that circle for them, doesn't it? If they can get rid of both Joe and Kamala, and we could talk about how they might do that, but they're going to have to deal with Kamala at some point, and they really don't want to piss off their most uh, fervent constituency, which is Black women. And the way that they can square that circle with Black women is putting another woman of color in there. Am I right? Yeah, well, I would say, though, that... Uh... You're overestimating Kamala Harris's uh, popularity or or the belief that black people think she's black. I think the black community does not consider her to be a black woman. I mean, she grew up in in Canada. Her mother's from India. You know, the father's from Jamaica. She doesn't really have very much going on with black voters. Uh, she didn't even make it to Iowa. That's how unpopular she was. So I, I think uh, Kamala is completely irrelevant. And the last thing I was going to add is that the Democrat Party put their convention, their DNC convention of all places in Chicago, mm -hmm. which sets up the perfect hometown girl anointment for Michelle Obama. So I think everything is going to be coming together for Michelle Obama in the fall. And she's pulling all the right strings. She's on stage with Bruce Springsteen in Barcelona, keeping a very high profile. She's starting a business to help kids, you know, have healthy drinks. Uh, she's got her Netflix special that just came out with Oprah. So she's done nothing but maintain a very high profile and a very high level of popularity. 
We've got to hit a quick break, but we'll be coming back with much more with Joel. But first, guys, you know what? You've heard me talk a lot about Nutrafol for a long time now, and that's because Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, clinically shown to improve your hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage for both men and women. For my listeners, when you use promo code MONICA, you will get $10 off your very first month's subscription. This offer is only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Nutrafol is a hair growth supplement that goes beyond genetics to target stress, hormones, nutrition, metabolism, aging, and lifestyle factors that may be impacting your hair. Thinning is different for men and women. And Nutrafol has multiple unique formulas for men and women to provide exactly what they need based on their biology and age. Every formula is physician-formulated using natural medical-grade ingredients for reliable results without compromises. In clinical studies, 72% of men saw more scalp coverage and 86% of women saw improved hair growth after just six months. Nutrafol is also trusted and recommended by more than 3,000 top doctors. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code MONICA to save $10 off your first month subscription. This offer is only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get $10 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L, Nutrafol.com, promo code MONICA. We'll be right back. And we're back with our remaining moments with Joel Gilbert. I want to drill down on two things. One, that the Democrats moved their first primary to South Carolina. As you say, Michelle has called it her adopted home state. It's got 50% of Black primary voters. So it seems like it's tailor-made for a Michelle Obama candidacy. Um, Can you talk about the role of James Clyburn, who is a very prominent Democrat? Uh, He's in Democrat leadership. He's out of South Carolina. He's the one who anointed Joe Biden and put him on the selection track uh, for the Democratic nomination and then, of course, the presidency, right? So how instrumental is Clyburn going to be to rally the Black vote, even if Michelle needs that, she probably doesn't, but moving that first primary there with Clyburn sort of running the show, that will be huge for someone like Michelle Obama. Right. Look, uh, James Clyburn had a very interesting role in the last election. You know, Joe Biden's candidacy was a joke. We were laughing at him on stage at these debates. He couldn't put two sentences together. Biden lost badly in Iowa and New Hampshire. It was pretty much like, why is he doing this? Why isn't he retired? And then James Clyburn rescued him from the depths of despair and helped turn out the black vote, which, you know, pretty big effort to get Biden that uh, primary victory. And then a couple of weeks later, everyone else dropped out. So, so you almost have to wonder if the fix was in for Biden from the get-go. But uh, now with uh, Michelle Obama, as you said, she checks all the boxes. Clyburn, I don't think, is really needed anymore because uh, Michelle claims South Carolina as a home state. Half the voters are African-American. Michelle's been spending years trying to develop a rapport with the Black community, claiming to have suffered racial slights. Uh, Michelle, by the way, never wore braids her whole life, ever. I interviewed her celebrity hairdresser she had from age 18, Michael Ronnie Flowers in Chicago. And Michelle was always this huge fashionista with the biggest, poofiest hairstyles, never wore braids in her life. On her latest book tour, you see her with braids and all these African-American kind of hairstyles. And she says, oh, you know, I, I couldn't wear braids in the White House. I don't think America could have handled it because we were the first black family. So she's trying to reiterate her blackness, if you will, because she has nothing in common with the black community. She has no experiences that the black community had growing up. It was the opposite. She ran away from them. They beat her up. And then at getting a jobs in Chicago, she exploited the black community. She made people homeless. She took away access to health care from the black community. So she's been working very hard to kind of fool black voters into thinking, I'm just one of these ordinary black folks that in reality, she spent her whole life exploiting. So if I was Donald Trump, 
I would start asking Michelle Obama questions. I would say, Michelle, are you going to apologize for what you did to the black community? Michelle, how many millions of dollars did you make exploiting black people in Chicago? These are the kind of questions that I think will get that discussion going. And because black voters are actually no fools, if they knew what Michelle did to the black community, they would not vote for her. Interesting. Well, it would have to be the Republican nominee or leading candidate like Trump, right, to to punch through yep. um, the mainstream press that's not going to report any of this. I mean, I, I'm glad you did in your documentary, but nobody else is reporting on any of this. So it would take the leading candidate to raise these questions and force her to answer them, whether it's in a debate scenario or whatever, uh, because the press is certainly not going to do it. The, the Democrats' choice of Chicago as DNC yeah. uh, convention site for next year, doesn't that speak volumes? Man. Oh, look, Illinois is like a, a bad state to have a convention in. You, usually you want to have a convention in a state that's kind of purple, that's kind of on the fence, and you can bring your candidates and get a lot of local publicity to maybe help you win that state. So Illinois is going to be Democrat to begin with, and then Chicago with all the problems with crime and homelessness and you know, uh, gangs, that's the last place you'd think they'd want to feature their crown jewel of their Democrat Party convention. So I think there's a method to the madness. I think it's about anointing the hometown girl to uh, get the nomination in her home city. It, it's it's fascinating. <laughs> it really is that they're going to do the DNC convention there. Um, let's get back to a couple of other things. Let's talk first about um, Bobby Kennedy Jr., and I'm fascinated by his candidacy. I think he's saying a lot of really important things. I think he is desperately trying to do what Bill Clinton did in 92, which is bring the Democratic Party kicking and screaming back to the center, away from the communist left. And he's, you know, he's not perfect on every issue. He's a climate change maniac and so on. I will not be voting for Bobby Kennedy Jr., just to be clear. But I think he's making a lot of really important arguments, as he has throughout the pandemic, about uh, vaccine safety, about the totalitarian control that big pharma has and big tech has. He's making a lot of critical arguments. And I don't think that Biden and the leftist power brokers anticipated his candidacy. It's almost like the Democratic version of Donald Trump, like this guy coming out of nowhere who suddenly has real resonance. And Bobby Kennedy right now is polling at like 19, 20% among Democrats. That's huge. I mean, that, that is a major well, dent that he's making into Biden's candidacy. So yeah. talk to us a little bit about the influence on the thinking by the left um, now that Bobby Kennedy is, is in the race. Well, I think uh, RFK Jr.'s high poll numbers are simply the anti-Biden vote. I don't know that they really uh, support RFK Jr., who has a lot of libertarian views. And I think that maybe that's why you like him a little bit, because he, he's kind of this maverick who has uh, views that are outside of the mainstream, uh, the way he talks about, you know, against the war in Ukraine. I mean, all this stuff is very libertarian. Uh, he's got the funny voice that's hard to really understand him. I don't see him as a serious contender. I see him picking up a little bit of the anti-Biden vote. Uh, I think the name Kennedy did spook the power brokers behind Biden, as you say, into releasing within a week a three-minute video which is not a real serious campaign announcement, to kind of freeze the field, let people know, hey, don't go support RFK Jr. Don't anybody else think of jumping in? I would speculate that they even thought that as long as no one jumps into the race, Biden will simply do nothing. Uh, but because RFK Jr. came in, they released a three-minute video, and that kind of does freeze it out. It sends the message to the media, you know, Biden's running, he's the leader, don't, don't mess with RFK Jr. or anybody else. Uh, so I think that's the role he's played. He's gotten uh, the, the Biden people a little bit spooked just because of the Kennedy name, but I don't see him as a serious contender for the Democrat nomination. Democrats also shut down any idea about debates. So there will not be, I mean, this is their position right now, and I guess it's going to carry through regardless of who is the nominee, no debates. Right. Well, look, uh, Michelle Obama is the best loved Democrat. She's the most popular person in the country, if not the world, but she's had 15 years of thousands, hundreds of talk shows and sitcoms and magazine covers. And she's far and away 
the best love Democrat. You even mentioned in at CPAC that she'll appeal to nostalgia. She'll say, remember how much you love the Obama years. In her interview with Oprah that's now on Netflix, I actually was at that event in Los Angeles that they filmed. Michelle said, we didn't have any scandals when we were in the White House. You know, she goes on and on. She's very, very political. She really can't help herself. And uh, Democrats just love her. So far and away, uh, I think uh, she's positioned herself very strongly to uh, to get the nomination. And uh, Trump is going to have to deal with her uh, by, I think, exposing the phoniness of Michelle Obama, her phony uh, stories about suffering discrimination and growing up as a black woman. It's all total nonsense. Michelle is someone, as I said, they called her an Oreo, which is a huge insult in the black community. You're you're black on the outside, but you're really a white girl. And that's her biggest problem. And that's why you see her trying so hard to convince black voters that she's one of them. I mean, no matter what kind of argument comes out of the Republican nominee, Donald Trump or whomever it might be, they're going to be attacked for being a racist if they are making the kinds of arguments that you're saying that need to be made to expose Michelle Obama as a fraud if, in fact, she does become the nominee. Um, how do they counter that? I mean, I guess Trump has already been smeared as a racist, so he may not care. But I mean, trying to take on Michelle Obama, a woman of color, that is a very delicate dance. Well, it's it's certainly a tough challenge. I mean, imagine a debate stage and Michelle looks over at Trump or the Republican nominee and says, you'll never know what it's like growing up as a black woman in America. You know, how are they going to handle that? Yeah, uh, game over. Yeah, Noel, I, I think the key, though, uh, you know, black voters, as I said, are no fools. They uh, they can see through these things and they don't like somebody that uh, manipulated and exploited the black community like Michelle Obama did. And I think that's the key is uh, explaining to the to the voters uh, what Michelle did and how much money she made working for rich white elites. They could not hire a white person to kick black people out of the emergency room. They couldn't hire a white person to take away their homes and knock down their homes like they did in Chicago and tell them this is going to be better for you. I've got Michelle on tape. She says, we're taking away these homes, but it's going to be better for you. We're going to kick you out of the emergency room. And it, you're going to have better experience at these crappy clinics. Uh, they, Michelle made millions exploiting the black community. And that's why she uh, you can just see it. And I think uh, there is a path to enlighten black voters as to what Michelle Obama is really all about. Look, they bought a house in Martha's Vineyard on the beach, thereby explaining them two things. They think climate change is a hoax. And secondly, that's the ultimate destination of rich white elites. That's where Barack and Michelle live because that's really who they are. Yeah, they also have a beachfront property in Hawaii. Uh, so they're not at all concerned about climate change. Um, just a final question for you or second to last question for you, Joel. Susan Rice, I mean, I to me, it's been quite obvious over the last two and a half years that Susan Rice, who was really Barack Obama's and Michelle Obama's to a great extent, right-hand person in the Obama White House, it's clear that the, the Obamas were running the Biden administration via Susan Rice in the White House, but just recently she stepped down, she left. Do you believe that she is getting ready to run a Michelle Obama campaign? Yeah, I think uh, it's just too obvious that a couple of days before Biden released his three minute video, uh, Susan Rice made it clear that she's not on board with this. And I think she will be continue to be part of the Obama circle. Uh, there's just no question that's that's the role that she plays with the Obamas for many years. I think one of the saddest pieces of video footage uh, was last year when uh, Obama showed up at the White House and was swarmed and swamped by the entire staff was just touching him and cheering him on. And Joe Biden was wandering around in the background trying to tap Barack on the shoulder and get his attention and Barack ignored him. And that just shows you who really is in charge in the White House today. And I think there's no question that the plan is for Michelle to to take the throne, as you will. Well, if in fact you're right and this happens, this is going to be very tricky uh, running against a black woman and the entire Democrat 
machine behind her and the entire propaganda press uh, behind her. So if in fact this scenario does unfold, Joel, you will be back on the show to say, I was right, I tried to tell you. <laughs> well, you can see, look, you can watch the film actually online right now. You can live stream Michelle Obama 2024, subtitle Her Real Life Story and Plan for Power. Go to Salem Now, SalemNow.com, SalemNow.com. You can also get the DVD there. And the book version and DVD are going to be on Amazon.com. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. And this is going to be very interesting. Well, and uh, yeah. and if, in fact, she alights on the scene, as you are predicting, I mean, this is going to be really something to, to, to watch. And you'll get a gold star for predicting it, but we'll all be horrified in the process. So we will have you back. Joel Gilbert, thank you so much. His new film and book are called Michelle Obama 2024. You can get all of the information at michelleobama24.com. Check it out. You know, you guys, we are always ahead of the curve on this show. And Joel Gilbert has just helped us be even more in front of the curve. We shall see. Joel, thank you so much. All right. Thank you. You bet. Okay, guys, that's it for us today. On Friday, we're going to focus on the Republican race for president. Not to be missed. Thanks so much for being here and for taking a look at our great sponsors. We all really appreciate that. Have a great rest of your week, and I will see you right back here on Friday. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.